here on National Radio Day. Very happy. This is a special occasion for radio stations that have survived the embattled climate for radio stations out there. And I kept thinking, you know, since we're producing these pieces, uh, celebrating Radio Day with ephemera and such, that would be really great to bring on an old hand in radio, someone who could speak very intelligently and insightfully about not only his or her experiences in radio, but why it's very important. And I kept racking my brain earlier this week, and I'm like, who can I get? I mean, how can I stage this in such a short amount of time? Who do I need to call? Do I have to go through a PR person? And I thought, well, duh, you have this person right in your <laughs> midst. And his name is Norman Davis. Welcome, Norman, to oh, Sonic thank Saturday. You. Thank you. That, that's a lot to live up to. <laughs> no pressure, though. Okay? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> well, I tell you, once you know you came on and you've been doing the juke joint, which is Mondays from 5 to 7.30 every week at Radio Boise, and it's great. It's a great eclectic mix of blues and uh, old and new and so on and so forth. Some things that even stretch one's uh, perception of the blues. A Hopefully. Bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I really enjoy that. One thing that I had to learn gradually about you was just how vast your experience with radio was. And that's really amazing to me. So tell us if you can, when maybe, maybe first when you first heard radio that interested you, and then if you could segue into actually beginning to work in the radio industry. That would be great. Okay. Well, uh, when I was a little kid, it was still before television. So radio was the big thing then. Uh, people born after television became big. Don't can't really comprehend that, I think. But people really did gather around the radio, and it did have that golden glow lit up dial, <laughs> or maybe a green eye on some of those sets. And we'd gather around and sit and listen, and it was just, it was magic, you know. And I think maybe part of why I was attracted to radio from the beginning was my mom was very religious and so she was very strict about which radio programs we could listen to there were only a few programs that she considered okay for us to hear <laughs> and uh, early censorship yeah kind <laughs> of kind of because mom uh, thought that fiction was lies basically so so uh, even though she let us listen to comedy shows like Fibber McGee and Molly and the Aldridge family and, and some shows like that, which uh, I'm afraid were fiction, but <laughs> they seemed kind of like real life. And A name like Fibber, you think, might have some fiction in it. <laughs> anyway, that's how I became attracted to radio, and I would... Uh, I would play sick and stay home when she went to church and then I could get to that radio and listen to those Roy Rogers and and Captain Midnight yeah, and that's great. <laughs> and I I forgot where I was going with that but well it's going from your listening to maybe being on the doorstep of actually directly getting involved in radio okay yeah so uh, and this is before colleges had their own radio stations so when I started going to uh, Boise Junior College which eventually became Boise State University 
they had a radio course, and someone had hand-built a mixing board with a couple of turntables, <laughs> and so uh, we learned how to use that, and the, the teacher of this class suggested to me and a buddy who was in the class that we go around to the local radio stations and see if we could find one that would give us an hour for a college radio show. Yeah, so we did that, and we got uh, KGEM, K-G-E-M mm-hmm. which was a fairly popular station then. They played popular music, and they gave us an hour on Saturday afternoon. Thank heaven there are no re- tapes of that show that we did, <laughs> which I'm sure was pretty bad. If, if there were, you would not tell us. <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, uh, my friend Ernie and I did that show for, for a few weeks, I guess. And uh, the guy who was stuck with the Saturday shift at KGM was the program director. His name was Jim Kelly. And he did not like it that he had to work on Saturday. So he taught me how to run the board. And, you know, he knew I was eager to get into radio, so he kind of suggested, well, I could do his shift if I wanted to. Of course I said yes, (laughs) for no pay, of course, just for the experience. The beginning model of volunteer DJs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you think about it, my first uh, gig then at KGM was uh, 10 hours and the the regular shift there, they played 45 records, little two, two-and-a-half-minute songs. The commercials were on little five-inch reels of tape. Mm-hmm. So, And we had five minutes of ABC News on the hour. So here's how it would go. We'd hit the network. The five minutes of news would be on. I would queue up the two spots we ran after every news or record, queue up a record on a turntable, and by then the news would be about over. So it would make a station break, play the two spots on the tapes, hit the first record, whirl around, rewind the tapes, queue up the next two spots, and get another record up. By that time, the first record would be over. Do the same thing again, and that's how the 10 hours went. That's amazing. That's <laughs> manual labor. Oh, man. It's amazing I didn't decide on another career. It is but... <laughs> amazing. But I guess if you were to, if you went on to continue in the same career, your love for it was true blue. It, it was. Yeah. I loved radio, and uh, so I, I ended up uh, actually working there that for starting salary was a dollar an hour. And then it turned out these guys who were running the station were kind of crooks. They ended up splitting town in the middle of the night, owing everybody. <laughs> when was this? What year was this? About? Um, I believe that was, uh, I think it was 1954. Okay, what an exciting time for music, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, that's when everything was kind of changing yeah. from the old swing era into yeah. rock and roll. That's right. That's yeah. right. And were you guys capitalizing on that? Were you well, there embracing that? Yeah, it was actually a little bit before rock because it was when, you know, the McGuire sisters and Doris Day and people like that were making the hits. 
and the the rock and roll elvis was just a couple of years away and uh and then things really started changing yeah that was the true revolutionary moment yeah in, in history wasn't it yeah one of many after the after the management split town in the middle of the night and of course they they didn't have a job for me at KJM after that so i started looking around uh for work and mm-hmm. somehow i found out about a job in pocatello at the nbc affiliate there i got the job it was you know then you were hired as an announcer not as a disc jockey would work an 8 hour shift and you would do news and whatever, mm-hmm. play tapes mm-hmm. and do whatever yeah. was required during that shift. The station was in a hotel, and we were on the mezzanine. Mm-hmm. People could come up and look through the glass. From Pocatello, I got a job in Spokane, moving up in market size. Uh, spent a couple of years there. And then I had been to San Francisco before and loved it, thought it was the greatest city I'd been to. I could see why. Was this the 60s by now? This was 58. 58, very close. And uh, <clears throat> I had gotten married, and we had a child on the way, and we had gone through two winters in Spokane, which aren't too much fun. And so we said, hey, let's get out of here. So we headed to San Francisco with no job and uh, managed to land one in, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks, got a job. And then I won't bore you with details of all the different gigs I had down there, but I ended up spending about 25 years down in the Bay Area. You were there for quite some time. Yeah, had a time. That's great. (laughs) Well, we can't think that the radio bug left you during your time in San Francisco. No. That would be my guess. No, not at all. I enjoyed every minute. I know that in the, toward the late 70s, I mean, I know you worked at K-San, which, you know, I still run into people who wax nostalgic about the beauty and great, fierce independence, let's say, to that station. Definitely, And it was sort of like a radio station that I came to expect sort of large metropolitan areas to have. It was very eclectic, and it appealed to probably the most restless, intelligent qualities of its listenership. I think you eventually found yourself in a position at KSAN where you were somewhat of a spokesman, in a way, for kind of a counterculture, huh? Well, the whole station was kind of counterculture. Yeah, you were just part of that, yeah. Except it was appealing to the whole counterculture, which was most of the young people in those years in the 60s and 70s. And uh, it was a really a unique experiment mm-hmm. case. And first of all, it was managed and run by a DJ, Tom Donahue, who understood that end of the business. Yeah. You know, he did not come from accounting or right. sales. He was, he was the equivalent of what you call an uh, actor's director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he, uh, we were owned by a big corporation, but he kept them off our back. And he really believed in exploring the unknown and expected us to do outrageous things. We had an ingredient which is almost totally missing from almost all radio stations. 
unpredictability. <laughs> is that the right word? I, it is. Did I say that right? Well, it kind of exhilarated me just thinking about it. So I think <laughs> yeah, you got the right word. Because just as somebody who worked there, I would leave my shift. Some And a lot of times we would just hang out there because there was stuff happening there. You know, yeah. John Lennon might drop by. Bob Dylan might come up, and we were very popular with the musicians because we were playing the new, current, and hot music. And then when I finally, I'd get in my car to drive home, I'd crank on the (laughs) station and be listening. And as soon as I got home, I'd go inside and turn on the radio. That's amazing. Because, you know, it it was exciting. Didn't want to miss anything. Exactly. Uh, so in the course of that, was were there times where you didn't know what you were going to do? Oh, sure. A whole lot of what went over the air was unplanned. And I think that was one of its strengths. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Exhilarating radio that sometimes had perhaps some train wreck moments, but, but, <laughs> but also where you reached the peak of entertainment. That's sort of the double-edged sword of improvisation, I think, a little bit. Absolutely. And so, well, like many good things that seem too good to be true, I guess K-San ultimately was too good to be true. We we had a 10-year run, which is pretty good for what we all considered to be a scam, you know, (laughs) that we were were getting paid by this major corporation to do counterculture kind of stuff and uh i think did you hear that tape i sent you of the commercials i was gonna bring that up (laughs) there was there was you speaking in front of a group i don't know who who that was right well we we had a kind of a case and gathering a couple years ago when Mm -hmm. they nominated it as station of the year down in the bay area they have a radio hall of fame and so a bunch of us showed up for that and that was the thing I sent you was from that. But basically, uh, it was, uh, I was talking about, we would get, um, because we were owned by a corporation that owned other stations, they had their own sales department, and they would send us commercials, usually from other corporations that were just terrible. Sure. You know, for our, we, we appreciated our audience and respected their good taste, and so we did not want to throw some terrible commercial at them. And so we decided we should remake some of the commercials that were sent to us. <laughs> um, let's play one of those. And just listen, because I think they're hilarious. Okay. The next thing I'd like to tell you about is how um, KSAN was different from other stations. We were a commercial station owned by a big corporation, and yet we had a policy of not airing commercials that we didn't personally approve of. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, a lot of times... Spots had to be changed if they wanted to get on the air at KSAN. Can you imagine a commercial station doing that today? Not possible. Well, anyway, uh, this all worked out okay uh, until we ran into a problem. We were owned by Metro Media, a giant corporation who had seven, I think, stations in major cities, and they had a national sales force. 
And so they would sell time to corporations and big sponsors, and then they would place the spots on all of their seven stations. So we would get spots from, you know, for sponsors like Revlon and rental car companies, and they were terrible. <laughs> they were awful, and, and so I don't know when it was decided to do this, but we started making our own spots, not playing their spots, but putting the information in our own spots. And we didn't bother to tell them that we were doing this. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a couple examples of some of these spots. This, this first one was for Clairol. She was standing there alone on the bridge. I moved up quietly behind her and grabbed her. Ah, darling, I knew it was you when I heard you sigh and saw the moonlight shining through your hair, your beautiful hair. What are you doing? Get away from me, you creep. That sigh you heard was my shortwave radio. My beautiful hair comes from Clairol's Great Body Shampoo. And this badge is number 86, and you're under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was for Clairol. Now here's another spot. We got this uh, uh, these this contract from Econocar, and they sent us this long, terrible jingle which we just couldn't run. So this is what we did with that. Oh, that's where you're wrong, Mom. I'm Rento, the car fairy, and I'm here to tell you Econocar is not like all the others. Econocar saves you money with economical Ford Mavericks or Torinos at some of the lowest rates around. And to rent an Econocar is fast and easy. Just call 800-874-5000. 800-874-5000. What the devil do you think you're doing in my commercial? I'll teach you to break into a Republican home. Take that, you <laughs> car is the service of Westinghouse. <laughs> All right, I have one more for you now, and this was for uh, perfume, I believe. Intimate, isn't it? A fragrance to change your life and his. Floating away on a cloud, together, to a place where love is all. And it's all because of Intimate by Replon. Put some on and change your life now. So, my darling, I must close now. I always remember you standing there by the window, covered only with your beautiful hair. Long golden strands that bounced when you walked. I knew that body could come only from flex, awesome and protein conditioner. <laughs> I knew that without flex and intimate by Revlon, none of this would be possible. Idiot. 
So anyway, the punchline to this whole story is that we went on doing this kind of thing for some time, I don't know, a year, maybe more. And then a most terrible thing happened. One of the spots that we had made, it was for a breath freshener, and Rick Sadel had made it. It got nominated for a Clio Award. <laughs> and you know, the Clio is the equivalent of the Grammys for commercials. Well, so of course they notified the agency of record, and they thought it was their spot. <laughs> and the truth finally came out. <laughs> and it ended up that we had to make a whole lot of make goods. <laughs> they ran them a long time. Oh my God. And, of course, me working the late-night shift, nobody wanted their spots on then, so it didn't bother me, which is one reason I liked working late at night. Thank you. So I'm Wayne on Sonic Saturday, joined here by Norman Davis, who hosts the, uh, the Juke Joint on Monday night and is also a... Uh, Longtime radio host who has some great stories, as evidenced by that. That's yeah, just hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I've had some fun for sure. So, was K San kind of the end of your? Did it create a hiatus in your radio career? Uh, no, um, it was going. maybe the high point yeah. because uh, yeah. it was you know you could do absolutely anything you sure. wanted to, sure. as long as you didn't you know break. FCC regulations uh, and and get this station in trouble. As program director, I'm very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> well, we didn't want to jeopardize the license. You sure, know, without the station, without the platform, there's no yeah. there's no speaking. But there yeah. was there was just it was really great to be able to do that, and I saw I saw how the flame of creativity just grows. Oh, my gosh, it was just amazing to watch when there are no restrictions on it and you can just let let it go. Mm-hmm. Amazing what happens. People feel free and then it just proliferates. Yes. They hear someone do it. It's like I totally get the sense of that. If you go home or you get in your car after a shift, you turn on your radio because you want to hear what your peers are doing. Yeah. And then you just fan each other's flames. Yeah. It's crazy. I think in a smaller way, and I'm not even trying to compare Radio Boise to KSAN, but it seems that we have microcosms of that during our fun drives. Absolutely. There's just a lot of zaniness. What do you think attracted me to this station? Hey! <laughs> it's just that this is one of the last bastions of freeform radio right. left anywhere. This is a dying uh, breed, and I'm thrilled that that you are keeping it alive here. Well, we're thrilled that you're here helping us. And <laughs> it's my pleasure. Lending really. your wisdom. It's a very unique thing that, uh, you know, I think we operate a bit on this unproven idea that creativity and independence doesn't have to be dead. Well, I have always thought that w- when they take ratings, that they didn't take something into account that is very important. 
and that is there's two kinds of radio. There's foreground radio mm. and ground radio. Mm. Background radio is what you hear when you go into a, a quickie store or sure. a gas station. Sure. You have it on in the background. Nobody's really paying much attention right. to it. Foreground radio is when people are paying attention to what you're saying and what you're playing. And that's pretty much what we do here is yeah. foreground radio, and there's a big difference. And I have to think that we hear from enough people to think that we may be onto something, That not that we invented it by any stretch. That's where we You're keeping it alive, Keeping though. it alive, exactly. And the key is whether we keep it alive as a, a little flicker or a full-on flame. Right? Well, you're doing okay. <laughs> Well, Norman, I appreciate you joining me here on National Radio Day. I, I thought, you know, what better way to shed light on where we've been, where we are, and where we can go than to bring in a veteran. Well, thank you so much. And, and again, it's my pleasure to be here. You're very welcome.